The way we were is not the way we are. Sadly, far too many believers think that the way they are is the way they were. It is time to divorce yourself from what was so that you can appreciate what is. Let go of your past. It is the only way to enjoy your future. The Way We Were. The Way We Were was a 1973 film about a pair of political polar opposites who fell in love but eventually realized they couldn't make it work. They divorced shortly after a daughter was born to them and they were separated for many, many years. And when they finally met again, the only thing they had in common is the memory of the way they were. I wish this was true for most Christians. I wish their past was only a distant memory. Sadly, though, for so many, the past is very much their present reality. And that reality keeps them living with the angst of an unworkable relationship. You cannot have a working loving relationship with the Lord if you cannot accept what he says about you. Now Paul mentions our past condition in the fifth chapter of Romans where he says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Weak ungodly sinners. That is who we were before we came to know the Lord. But that is not who we are now. Although there are many preachers this morning telling their congregation that they are, that they're sinners. There's a whole lot of people that would argue with my statement that that is not who you are now. People say, and maybe you have been told, we are all sinners. But I disagree with that statement from a sociological, psychological, and theological basis. Words like sinner, murderer, cheater, liar, all those words go to character. They speak of your character. And your character determines what you are and what you do on a regular habitual basis. You may tell a lie, but that doesn't make you a liar. Now, we didn't believe that in middle school, of course. But if you're a liar, then I cannot ever believe anything you say because your character your nature is to avoid telling the truth. If you are a cheater, then I can never depend on your loyalty because your character, your nature is to defraud on a regular basis. If you are a sinner, then I can never depend on your being right with God because God changes the character of those 
who are or were sinners. We find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 where we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This should be plain enough to understand. Who you were before Christ is not who you are after Christ. This makes that plain with the word new that's used here. And there's two different Greek words that we translate with our one word new. One of the Greek words is used to reference to the newness of time, as in a newborn baby. The other is used in reference to quality, as in a new pair of shoes to replace the old worn out ones. You were an old worn out creation, a sinner for whom Christ died. But now that creation has been replaced with an entirely new creation. I don't know about you, but that's exciting news to me. We've been changed. The old creation has passed away. It is no longer of any value. It serves no useful purpose. Therefore, since you are in Christ, your old condition of being a sinner has passed away. It is no longer a part of who you are. It is no longer your nature or your character. Now John makes this plain in his letter. First letter, John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has ever either seen him or known him. Now, I was formerly one of those teachers who emphasized only one aspect of this verse. I would focus on the necessity of abiding in Christ because if you sinned, then you obviously were not abiding in Christ. That's not what that verse says. What a heavy load for people to bear to teach that way. And I did. And people were burdened by it. People take... When they, when they hear something like that, they take that, apply it to themselves, and say, Oh, I sinned yesterday. I must not know the Lord. That's not what it says. Then they would begin to live in guilt and fear of hell because it was obvious that they did not know the Lord in their mind from that kind of preaching. I even had a verse to prove what I was saying. Later on in verse John, verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. People use this verse to prove that we sin, but that is not what it says. Did you sin in the past before coming to the Lord? Yes. And that's all that verse is saying. If we say that we have not sinned, that's a past tense speaking of a present reality. If we deny the fact that we ever sinned, then we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So it's simple. 
We were a sinner. I admit it. Yeah, we did bad things. We did stupid things. We did things that weren't very bright. We did things that had we got caught, we might not be here today. But you are only presently confessing that you were a sinner in the past. However, this verse is somehow twisted to mean that we still sin. And since we are told week after week after week that we are all sinners, we must confess our sin and make our repentance known and seen by others. This kind of teaching made people think that if they sinned, their relationship with God was completely broken and they needed to get saved all over again. Continual repentance was necessary in order to maintain a right relationship with the Lord. And the quality of your repentance soon becomes something by which you are judged from others. My youngest son was kicked out of a church because he, he, the, they said his repentance was not genuine enough. Even though there were tears and a public apology, it was not good enough. And they never said what they were expecting to see. When Jesus told the woman caught in adultery to go, he wasn't kicking her out of his presence. He was setting her free. And if you remember the story, there was no visible sign of repentance. All the artwork we ever see and what we hear in that story is here's this woman getting thrown at the feet of Jesus by the Pharisees. And all we can see is that she's sitting there on the ground cowering in fear for what the law said that she must be stoned. We never have a record of her saying, I'm sorry, please don't hurt me, give me mercy. None of that. And he set her free. We choose, however, to make repentance something that we need to see in another before we can help them. How often I have heard someone say that another's problems are due to the continual sin in their life which must be repented of. I was in a church uh, when I was in Bible college and one of the elders was dying of a tumor on the brain and we would gather uh, in his bedroom on a regular basis through the week and pray for him and one night one of the young men said the Lord has shown me that the reason you have this is because of some hidden sin in your life that is certainly healing words don't you think preaching a continual repentance keeps the altars filled at the end of the service if you've been to the, the types of churches where they have altar calls it keeps the altars filled because people have not yet learned about the power and love of God towards them. As we're told in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's supposed, there is probably a point in your life somewhere where you confessed 
that you were a sinner and you confessed your sins. As Catholics, we would go in every Saturday and make up the same list that we had last week of the things that we had done wrong and speak it through this screen to somebody and we were confessing our sins. Others in Protestant churches, they're just told to confess your sins on a regular basis. But look at this verse. If you have confessed your sin, then you have been cleansed from unrighteousness. We sang that in a hymn this morning, one of the hymns. We're cleansed. He's taken it away. Now, if you look, I've highlighted the word all. Because the word all in that verse is present in the original text from which it is translated. It's not supplied by the translators to help make sense out of the verse. And interestingly enough, in the Greek language, the word all means the same thing it does in the English language. Imagine that. So therefore I ask you, which unrighteousness in your life are you not cleansed from? Hmm? What part of all does not include tomorrow or next week? Why do we only assume that all unrighteousness only means that which I have accumulated up to this point? Well, it's because we keep being told that we're a sinner. So we got cleansed, now we got dirty. Time to get clean. Being cleansed from all unrighteousness is a present reality in which we should begin to live, begin to understand, have it in our consciousness. Now, I'm not making this up out of my own logic just using one verse of scripture because this is what the Bible says. <clears throat> Go with me through a passage in Hebrews. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. That's giving you a foreshadowing of what's coming. It, it can't make perfect. So we're talking about the possibility of something being supplied that can. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? He's saying that there was something that happened in the, in the Old Covenant that didn't quite do what it was supposed to do, which was to remove the consciousness of sins. Therefore, they did it every year. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And he goes on, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I'm not just making that up out of my mind. It's in the scripture. He has perfected for all time. We have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. Now, Will you screw up? Yeah. Will you make mistakes? Yes. Will you sin? Probably. But none of that defines you. That doesn't make you a sinner. It is not your character. It's an event. It's something that occurred. 
You're not a screw-up, and you're not a sinner. You're a child of God. And God don't make no mistakes. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the declaration of the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God in him. Now, our language, our English language, provides us with a difficulty in reading this verse. It says that we might become the righteousness of God. The word might, when not used in reference to power or strength, seems to present only a possibility that something could occur. In other words, we, looking at this verse, we see only the possibility of becoming the righteousness of God. There's no guarantee when we read it that way. And due to our transactional theology, where everything that God is supposed to do requires us to do something first, that's called transactional theology, we believe that our becoming the righteousness of God in Christ is dependent on something that we must do. Now, recognizing our weakness, we see that as an impossibility, and we revert to our notion that we are weak, ungodly sinners. However, the Greek construction here is something that we do not have in our English language. It translates into, it's a done deal. But the word might, is, it's a legitimate translation. I'm not picking on that. It's just that our understanding is extremely limited in that area. So we miss the point in our thinking. We think that hopefully, someday, somehow, some way, I'll become the righteousness of God. No, we already are. And you don't look at what you did this morning, yesterday or whatever, to determine your righteousness. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in him. Anyway, our translation of the word might gives us a problem and it helps us to miss the point. But look at this verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Is Jesus or is he not the firstborn among many? He is. And yet we have that word that he might. It's not just a possibility. We're looking at something that's a done deal. It's not simply the, the, the possibility of an idea uh, which God had in his mind, hoping for its fulfillment. And what I hope you can see is that we are indeed, in actual fact, present reality, we are the righteousness of God. It's not about doing righteousness, it's about character, it's about being. If that is true, and it is, then what part of the righteousness of God becomes unrighteous? That's got to be a tough one to answer. Yeah. 
The psalmist tells us that there is no unrighteousness in God at all, which shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. But in Psalm 92 and verse 15, to declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Are you in him this morning? Yes, you are. You're in Christ. Does that make you a sinner? No. It makes you the righteousness of God. So, let's see if we can put all this together into one coherent thought. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, We are a new creation in Christ. 1 John chapter 1, and verse 9 says, We have been cleansed from all unrighteousness, past, present, and future. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21 says that we have been made by an act of God, the righteousness of God. And Psalm 92 and verse 15 says, There is no unrighteousness in God. Therefore, there is no unrighteousness in us. So we're talking about a quality, a character. We're not talking about our events. And since there's no unrighteousness in us, we only hurt ourselves by thinking so. When we think that we're a screw-up, when we confess it, we confess that we made a mistake or that, you know, I don't do nothing but dumb stuff. Whatever. We're not speaking the truth. So, I want to suggest to you that maybe it's time for you to file for a divorce from your past. The way we were is only a memory, not a present reality. Say this with me out loud. I am a new creation in Christ. The old has passed, the new has come. Say it again loud enough for everybody to hear it. I am a new creation in Christ. The old has passed. The new has come. Amen. Glory in that. Rejoice in that. It is a truth beyond measure that can change your life. Praise to the Lord.